Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. international again and so I apologize I'm gonna mispronounce some things I know I am we're really sorry sometimes the names are just really difficult to say that's right and they're different when you're doing ones from different countries our accents just make them sound different so we apologize yeah but we don't mean any disrespect no we're taking a little trip around the world we're gonna be in Japan we're gonna be in Paris and we're even gonna have some Dutch names so those ones are so hard wish me luck but before that, hey listeners! <laughs> welcome back! We're so glad that you're here to hang out with us again today. Or if it's your first time, welcome. Yeah. And we hope you keep checking us out. That's right. We like to make new friends. We would really like to encourage everybody to go to our Facebook page. And if there's been a case that you really thought was interesting, please share with us on our Facebook page. Yeah, we love hearing from you guys. And we appreciate those who have shared some of our content to your personal pages as well. So we can get more friends and more listeners. Oh, that is always awesome. It's always nice to share. That's right. It could be hard to do sometimes. (laughs) See, my mind went to like chocolate and chips. That's hard to share sometimes. Do you keep things hidden from your kids? I totally do. I totally do. Is that just a mom thing? Both my husband and I do it. So I don't think it's just a mom thing. Yeah, we We, totally hide stuff. Yeah, we were having lunch yesterday and we had bought just juice. Like it wasn't anything even crazy. (laughs) But I was like, should we hide this in the back of the fridge so that the kids don't find it? Because you know, you're not going to get any of it again. It's true. (laughs) You know what I've done with juice? It's rare that I drink it, but I occasionally really like some fresh orange juice. So I buy the one with extra pulp because my kids don't (laughs) like pulp and they get so mad. They're like, why are you buying juice with pulp? That's what we were hiding yesterday. (laughs) orange juice. If I really want to hide something, I've got a hiding spot in my room and I can't say where it is because my kids sometimes listen to the podcast. And that's where I keep the really good stuff or else it's gone. Fun times. It's so crazy that you actually have to hide stuff from them. Right. But I feel a little bit better knowing that you do too. And it's not just me. I'm sure there's other people out there that actually do hide stuff from their kids too. I think it's a common thing. For sure. Okay. So what are you going to tell us about today? All right. Well, occasionally, Melissa and I research a case that, to be honest, after spending hours researching and compiling information about, we are ready to be done with that dirt bag. Oh, it is so true. And this, today's case, is that kind of case for me. I swear my brain needs a shower after doing this one. Some of the cases that we do are actually so hard to research because we're collecting and doing research for months before you get to hear it. And then after we're done researching, we start to compile and organize the show notes and then we review it over and over again. So by the time you guys are hearing a case, we've been through the details multiple, multiple times. And if they're disturbing, it can be quite a lot. Oh, for sure. And especially it's great when we find a lot of information, but when there is... We have a lot of information going on in our minds. Yeah. Like with today's dirt bag, he actually becomes famous for his crime. And so there is a lot of information about what he did, as well as video documentation of him telling his story. 
Oh, and I always find the interviews so disturbing. They really are. It really brings it to life. You're like, oh, this is real life. This really happened. Yeah. Well, I just find them so immersive. It's fascinating to listen, but then sometimes it's a little bit too intimate. That's true. You start to feel like you're getting to know them. Yeah. And that's kind of the case with this one because he did become so famous. There's oh. so many videos of him telling his story. So with that being said, I basically took one for the team listeners. So you're welcome. I watched a lot so that you don't have to. And I'm just going to say, I do not recommend. And so I will just fill you in on the things that I've learned. Okay. So remember during the last case that I did about Catherine Knight, when I told you that the events in my next case would go even further? Yes. Well, they do. So hang on to your hats, boys and girls. It's another crazy ride. Oh, no. The man you'll be learning about in this episode is a full-on self-professed cannibal who still craves human flesh today. Cannibals I don't get. I can't wrap my mind around how they actually crave human flesh like you would crave a hamburger. I just don't get it. Yeah. And he talks a lot about being a cannibal. He became famous for becoming a cannibal. And so he talks about his experience in the cannibalism and about still being a cannibal today. It's just not a part of our culture and it seems so foreign to us, but maybe there are cultures that actually practice cannibalism and they're like, yeah, this is just a normal thing. Well, I think there have been, you know, in history, mm-hmm. but I was thinking of, what was that movie with the airplane where, oh, was it the called Andes. Alive? Yes, it was called Alive. Alive, yeah. yeah. Where it's a true story where the people crash and to survive, they have to eat those who have died. Okay, but that's a totally different story. Than... Did you do it? To survive? I think so. I think you could do a lot of things to survive. You don't think you could? I don't know. I'm not a big meat eater to begin with. <laughs> And so they think of raw human flesh. But if that's the only thing that's available, you yeah. don't think you could do it? That would be a tough one. And if I remember correctly, I think some people did die because they wouldn't eat, didn't they? Yeah. In the movie? I yeah. Th- it's been a well, long time. Well, yeah. I might need to rewatch that one. But that's totally different than somebody purposely going out and killing somebody just to cook them up. Oh, for sure. And I'm going to take you through the details today. So I apologize in advance, but... You're here at Buried Motives and you know what you're going to get. Oh, Like I said, he became a celebrity for his crime, which is despicable enough. But do you want to know what makes it even worse? What? He didn't do any real jail time and is a free man. No way. Honestly, we can't make this stuff up. Oh my goodness. Yeah. He seriously barely does any jail time. And but he killed somebody to practice cannibalism. Oh yeah. Yeah. He became a celebrity for it. He profits off of it and he roams free. That is insane. Isn't that crazy? That is. So isn't cannibalism illegal? Like wouldn't you do jail yeah. time just to do that? It's illegal. And I'm going to take you through the story and then I'm going to tell you why he's still walking free. That is so crazy because the case that we cover next week, he actually does five years just for defiling a body. Yep. Oh, that is so crazy. So you're going to have to keep listening if you want to find out how that happens because it just blows my mind. And that's partly why I chose this case. I was like, well, we haven't really done a full on cannibal. We get into some necrophilia in this one. Oh, so yeah. gross. <laughs> but then when I found out that he didn't do any jail time, I was shocked and so intrigued. This is fascinating. Yeah. Cannibalism, because it's so out there, is so fascinating. It's honestly, just, right? Yeah, it's just a shock to your system that yeah. somebody would actually do this. It sounds like a more modern version of Albert Fish, and he was so disturbing. I've been oh. researching him for like <laughs> ever now, and I'm still not ready to do his case because it's so disturbing. Melissa's needing to take a <laughs> lot of brain showers in between doing that one. So yeah. eventually she'll cover Albert Fish, but not today. So as we start, I'll first let you know that today's Dirtbag later does an interview with Vice called Who's Hungry? And I'll share a few quotes throughout our episode today from that interview, although he does a multitude of other interviews. 
So I'm not sure if you guys have heard of him before, but his name is Issei Sagawa, and he was born in Kobe, Japan on April 26, 1949. His family and home life were filled with love and security. <gasps> what? Yeah. So he's another one that strays from your typical serial killer or psychopath type of tendencies or characteristics. And these ones I find so disturbing because if they don't fit the mold, then how do we predict? For sure. And this is one of those cases. Professionals are unsure how he became a monster. So was it his nature? Was he born a cannibal? Oh, that is so disturbing. Yeah. So after you hear this case, let us know what you guys think. Issei's father was a very successful businessman. He was president of Curita Water Industries, which is a multi-billion dollar company that manufactures and deals with water treatment chemicals in Japan. His grandfather was an editor for a large newspaper company, which was one of the four largest in Japan. So I wonder if that's where he got his want to be famous and granting all these interviews and... No, I don't think he knew this was going to make him famous. Oh, okay. But he obviously lived a very comfortable life. Yeah. Money was not an issue whatsoever. Issei's mother was able to stay home and raise him and his brother. Stay at home, mom. Yeah. When pregnant with Issei, his mother unfortunately fell down the stairs and Issei was born prematurely. He was so tiny he could fit into the palm of his father's hand. Issei quickly developed enteritis, which is a disease of the small intestine. Doctors treated him with injections of potassium and calcium. Because of his health issues, Issei grew up very weak and frail. He would only reach four feet and nine inches tall as an adult. Oh, wow. Yeah. Not often would I feel tall around someone, but I could feel tall around Issei. So I wonder, here's me speculating already. So I wonder if he thought that eating human flesh was just that extra bit of nutrition or like that's what he needed even more because he was so small and because he was so malnourished. Well, we're going to get there. Okay. Was there oxygen deprivation during his delivery? That I don't know. All we know is that he was delivered prematurely. Yeah. From a fall, though. Could he have sustained a brain injury? Yeah. Did they do any scans afterwards? There's nothing that says. Well, this was, he was born 1949. Oh, okay. But it would be so interesting now to look back and see if they've done scans on his brain even now to see if, is there something in there that actually makes him crave human flesh? Well, he's a free man. He's not even incarcerated for them to do tests and that type of stuff on him. If you were a little bit weird, would you want to find out the reasons why? To be honest, we're going to get into some of his statements. I think he's quite happy being a cannibal. But he doesn't still practice today, right? Well, who knows? (laughs) You're grossing me out. We're going to get there, I promise. Okay, sorry, I'll stop jumping ahead. (laughs) But what if... Melissa always wants to know the end right at the beginning. (laughs) You have to let me take you down this road. Okay. All right. His younger brother was born two years after him, but they were very similar in size as kids, and so they were raised almost as twins. Issei talks about how even at a young age, he had cannibalistic urges. And this is why I ask, could he have been born a cannibal? As a child, his favorite fairy tale was Hansel and Gretel, which I know we talked about before. It's about a witch who likes to eat children. And when he was young, his uncle would play a game with him and his younger brother where he would pretend to be a monster. He would dress up and pretend to be a monster and he would scoop him and his brother up and pretend to lure them into a pot to cook and eat them. What? Yeah. And so his father would have to come and rescue them. So was their uncle a cannibal? No, it was just a it was just a game that he played. I have never played that game <laughs> with any kids or had that when I was young. That's a weird game. Well, and I was going to ask about that because it seems pretty harmless, but it wasn't for Issei. It became a core memory for him and he loved it. He reflects on that game with fondness. 
But I thought, have you ever done where I got your nose oh, and you pretend to like, you know how you put your thumb between your fingers yeah. and you pretend to like steal a little kid's nose? But you don't pretend to eat it. No, but I did when my little girls would, and this is maybe really bad and maybe I'll cut this out, but I would tease them when they would stick their tongue out at me that I was going to cut their tongues and make tongue soup. <laughs> I would tease them about that. Maybe people do have those urges. Maybe. But for me, like with a regular kid, it didn't seem that weird. It's still a little weird. I don't know. Well, we're reading our kids' fairy tales like Hansel and Gretel. It's true. Where a witch is fattening them up to try and cook them. And I wonder if it was his idea that made the story up or was it his uncle's idea? And like his uncle and his dad were, because you know, when you play pretend with your kids, they're coming up with a storyline and you're just kind of going along with it. Yeah, I'm not sure. But he says even from a young age, he remembers having these cannibalistic urges. Yeah. In fact, when Issei was in grade one, he remembered seeing a classmate wearing shorts and thinking to himself how delicious the other child's thigh looked. What? Yeah, he said he had an urge even then to take a bite. So this is grade one. Just to sink his teeth in, hey? Yeah. So in that interview, they asked him about the first time he felt cannibalistic urges. And this is what he said. And so I'm going to read it. It's a little bit lengthy, but we're getting it right from his mouth here. Okay. (laughs) He said, I was physically weak from the moment I was born. My legs were so skinny and they looked like pencils. I was in the first grade of elementary school when I saw the quivering meat of a male's classmate's thigh. And I suddenly thought, mmm, that looks delicious. But I'm not homosexual, so from around the time I entered junior high school, I became obsessed with the Western actress Grace Kelly, an obsession that lasted right through high school. That was the beginning of my infatuation with Occidental people. Before I knew it, tall, healthy-looking Western women became the trigger for my cannibalistic fantasies. I guess my infatuation with such women stemmed from the fact that I was short, ugly, and had an inferiority complex, and therefore sought people who were the exact opposite of myself. Eventually, I began feeling a strong desire to bite into them. Not to kill them or eat them, per se, but merely to gnaw in their flesh. It was purely a form of sexual desire. It wasn't like I felt like eating someone every time I was hungry. But you know how you tend to feel a strong sexual desire when you've eaten a full meal? That's when I would start feeling the urge to eat a girl. It's absurd, right? In essence, it's different from the type of hunger that people experience for food. This cannibalistic urge, where I'm going, quote, I want to eat human meat, is a sort of sexual appetite. So if I don't make sure that I ejaculate frequently enough, the desire only gets stronger and stronger. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. So there's some of your answers already. Interesting. Yeah. So later in life, as karma would have it, Issei would become impotent, only making his cannibalistic oh. desires increase. Okay. But I was like, that's some good karma right there. Well, and I'm thinking, if he was getting off every time he felt those urges, wouldn't that just further reinforce it? Oh, I'm sure. Right? Yeah, it would be a positive reinforcement for him. So Issei does actually speak about his first sexual experience. And I apologize because there's no good way to transition into this next statement. But as a child, Issei experimented with bestiality. His family, they were very loving, but they were quite conservative and they didn't discuss anything about sex with him or his brother. So when Issei experienced his first erection, he was frightened and thought maybe something was wrong with him. Oh no. He thought he was ill. So not knowing what to do, he had the dog lick him to help him out. He said later that this aided in skewing his thoughts or beliefs about sex. So he had the dog lick him until he got off? (laughs) Yeah. So the very first time he ever... Wow. (laughs) 
That's a weird story. It is. Well, that just doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. But that is what he said. That is crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't buy it. I'm just going by what he came out of his mouth. I watched the documentary and listened to him talk about it. So that's what he said. And really, like, why would you want to admit to bestiality if it didn't actually happen? Well, why would you want to admit to cannibalism? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So Issei did see a psychiatrist at age 15, but it didn't help or last long. It just was noted that he went, but he didn't continue to get help from him. That's too bad. Mm -hmm. Because Issei saw himself as someone who women would not conventionally find attractive, he began to obsess over the perfect woman. Like I said earlier, he fixated on women who were the opposite of himself. Tall white women with blonde hair and usually blue eyes. Issei was introverted and not at all athletic. He soon developed a love for literature. He attended Waco University in Tokyo and completed a master's degree in English literature at Kwanzae Gakin University. When Issei was 24 years old and still attending Waco University, he fixated on a tall, beautiful German woman. One night, he followed her home and waited for her to fall asleep. Once the woman was sleeping, he broke into her apartment by crawling through her window. So once he was inside, he looked around for something to knock her out with. He saw an umbrella and decided that that would do. He with was his ho- weak little arms? Yeah. yeah right. He was hoping he could knock her out. You're going to like this story. <laughs> he was hoping to slice off a part of her buttocks and sneak away with part of her flesh to finally eat. <gasps> so he wasn't actually wanting to like kill, kill her, her, but he, he wanted to knock her out this. so he could cut a chunk of her butt off Pound of and flesh. go and eat that. Yeah. Issei said that the woman was asleep naked in her bed. He set his knee on the bed and it accidentally touched the woman waking her up. So he was kneeling on the bed so he could get close enough to hit her with the umbrella. Could you imagine waking up to that sight? No. But because he was small, weak, and frail, the woman was able to easily overpower him. (laughs) It sounded like she had him pinned to the floor. So police came and charged Issei with attempted rape. They had no idea of his true intentions. Because Issei's father was a very rich businessman, he simply paid this woman a large settlement and Issei would not be held responsible. So the charges were dropped. So when he was saying like, yeah, I wasn't here to rape them. I was just here to cut her butt off. He didn't tell them. He didn't tell it. So he just, yeah, yep, I was here to rape them. Yeah, he went with the attempted rape charge. His father paid her off a settlement and the charges were dropped. So it's not even on his record. And no shade to the victim at all. But I just find it so frustrating when people can pay their way out of justice. Well, she was probably thinking no harm done because she beat the crap out of him. She did. Right? Yeah. And And that's why we no shade to her at all. You're going to pay for my schooling? Absolutely. Yeah. But sometimes, yeah, I just find it really frustrating. It is. If you have money, you can get off of a lot of crimes. That is really frustrating. Mm Mm-hmm. So in 1977, at the age of 27, Issei decided to move to Paris, France. He started to work on getting his PhD in literature at the Sorbonne University there. While in Paris, Issei's desire for human flesh would only grow stronger. That is so disturbing. It is. He said, quote, almost every night I would bring a prostitute home and then try to shoot them. But for some reason, my fingers froze up and I couldn't pull the trigger. Just like his impotence. (laughs) Well, that's later. Right now, Yeah, right now he's okay, but later in life, after all this happens. But I thought, imagine being one of these women and reading about their near-death encounter with him later in the news, because he would be memorable. 
Yeah, right? because he'd be so weak and scrawny looking. Yeah, and he's and this short. four foot nine yeah. Japanese man in Paris. He's going to stand out. So as a prostitute or a sex worker, you're going to remember him. And then finding this out, I'd be oh. counting my lucky stars. That's for sure. Yeah, that you didn't become one of his meals. Yeah, because he said he tried. It wasn't even that it was a moral thing, he said. He just said his body froze and he couldn't do it. So not only was he a little weakling, but he was a chicken too. Oh yeah. He's he's like a human slug. I have oh. nothing good to say about this man. Eventually, Issei would turn his focus to one woman in particular, Renee Hardevelt. Renee was a 25-year-old Dutch student studying alongside Issei at Sorbonne. She was tall, blonde, and beautiful. She oh. was actually over a foot taller than Issei. I was just going to say, she's Dutch. She's got the blonde hair, blue eyes. Oh yeah, she's yeah. perfect. And he becomes infatuated. He's 4'9", and she was like 5'10". Oh, wow. So she mm -hmm. was like even tall for a woman then. Oh, yeah. Gorgeous. Renee knew three languages and was working on getting her PhD in French literature. Issei saw her health and beauty and felt like he would absorb her energy if he ate her. Oh, see, I was totally right. You were on the right track. Yep. Yeah. So he cunningly started a friendship with Renee. About Renee, Issei said, quote, I spotted the girl who would later become my victim in one of my classes at university. All of the French women I had met before then were beautiful, but were stuck up and totally out of my league. In contrast, this girl was so friendly and warm. I found out after the murder that she was Jewish, which is probably why a Japanese guy like me felt an affinity with her. In any case, we became friends. Which just makes it that much worse, right? That she was actually kind to him and a friend when nobody else would be. And this is what he does to her. Yeah. Dirtbag. Right? We should be rewarded for our kindness, not punished for it. Yeah. So they would have dinner and they would even embark on a few outings together as friends. Issei used his father's money to hire Renee to tutor him in German, which gave them more time together. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. One day prior to the murder, Issei invited Renee to his apartment for dinner. He asked her to read a poem by his favorite German expressionist, and she complied. After she left that day, he said he smelled and licked the seat that she was on and vowed he was going to eat her so he could possess her forever. What? Yeah. Such a creep. Oh, but that goes back to the Catherine Knight one. Catherine Knight ate pricey because she never wanted him to leave her. Right. And so now this is the same idea that he wants to possess her. Right. Except Catherine, it was like revenge payback, mm. you know, where he's just infatuated and wants to absorb her energy. So a little different, but still both messed up. <laughs> In later reflection, Issei said that if he had had one more dinner with Renee, he might not have been able to carry out her murder because of his feelings for her. Before the actual murder, Issei did attempt one other time to kill Renee. He tried to shoot her with his twenty-two caliber rifle when her back was turned on him, but it misfired. Oh, mm -hmm. and so she never noticed that no. he had a gun up to her? No. And Issei said that the gun misfiring just, quote, made me even more hysterical, and I knew that I simply had to kill her. Oh, my goodness. So he finally works up the courage, nerve. and it misfires. <laughs> oh, man. But he didn't wait long. Only two days later, on June 11th of 1981, the 32-year-old Issei Sagawa invited Renee Hardevelt back to his apartment at 10 Rue Erlanger. Sadly, this time he would live out his fantasy. And I'm going to warn you, the following is graphic. I left some stuff out, but I had to keep some of it in. So it's graphic. Oh no. 
Issei invited Renee over under the pretense that she would help him translate a German poem for a school assignment. So she was just coming over to help him, again, being the nice friend. Yeah, and so when she gets there, he makes her tea and he pours whiskey into it, hoping it would make her less inhibited. She's probably not a lightweight like him, though. No. Ideally, he would have loved to have had sex with her and eat parts of her without having to kill her. He believed that consuming her would show her how much he loved her. So once the whiskey started to take effect, Issei professed his love for Renee and invited her to go to bed with him. And Renee declined and basically friend-zoned him. <laughs> She's like, I like our encounters, but I just don't feel for you that way. Yeah, that's a huge rejection on his part. For sure. So he, did it make him angry? Well, he tried to just move on. Like, let's okay. not make this uncomfortable. We'll just move on. And so then he asked her if she would read that German poem for him and let him record it so that he could use the recording to study later. So Renee agreed. Harmless, right? So Issei had her sit at his desk with the cassette recorder. This is back in cassette days. <laughs> <laughs> the Walkman. Yep, we had them. Did you guys? <laughs> Renee sat with her back towards Issei and began to read the German poem. Issei went and got his gun, stood behind her, and shot Renee in the back of the neck. He said that for a moment after he shot her, she continued reading before falling to the floor dead. Why in the neck? I don't know, the back of the neck. Maybe he thought he would just sever the brainstem. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Maybe he thought it would be quick and painless then that way. Maybe. Who knows what he was thinking? Actually, yeah. does he tell us later? Well, he does. Okay. In Issei's words, this is what he says. He says, quote, I slowly crept up from behind, took a deep breath, held in when my lungs were half full, and pulled the trigger. This time the gun went off. The girl died instantly without feeling any pain. The autopsy showed that the gun wasn't powerful enough to send the bullet through her skull, so it just kept spinning around and around in her head. For a split second, I thought about calling an ambulance, but then I thought, hang on, don't be stupid. You've been dreaming about this for 32 years, and now it's actually happening. That is so wrong. On so many levels. Yeah. But I thought he shot her in the back of the neck. How it was bullet spinning around in her head. He's shorter. Maybe he was pointing up. I don't oh, know. Maybe. I don't know but what she the angle sitting. the gun was at. Yeah, that's true. Hard to say. But regardless of all of that, being the spineless slug of a dirtbag that Issei is, he said that after he first shot her, he fainted from shock oh. after killing Renee. <laughs> And it's not funny because he kills Renee, but he shoots her and he thinks for a moment, oh my gosh, I should call an ambulance. And then he's like, hey, wait, what am I thinking? I've been wanting to do this forever. And then he's like, oh, wait, and passes out he just from the shock of it. it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. This guy's usually Deranged. they have yeah more <laughs> conviction than that. He's not a macho, powerful man. He doesn't exude masculinity. This is all kind of new for him. But still, he's planning on eating somebody. So I would have thought that you wouldn't pass out at sight of blood. Right? I think, I don't How's know. He, gonna he said it her? was the shock of killing her. Oh, he has no problem butchering her. So when he comes to, he was elated to have Renee all to himself and do as he pleased. And is he in a dorm at this time? He's in an apartment building. Oh, nobody heard anything. You never know what your neighbors are doing. That's right. So he started by undressing her body and having sex with her dead corpse. And he's made note about how hard it was to undress a dead body. Because it's dead weight. <laughs> well, and he's a little weakling. He says that he is. Like, he's got tiny little arms. He doesn't have a lot of muscles. Yeah, so he had a hard time undressing her. But he did it. And then he went on to have sex with her body. Oh, that is disturbing. After that, he was ready to feast. He wanted to try her right butt cheek first. He thought the left butt cheek was too connected to the heart and would have more blood. But he found the bottom most enticing. <laughs> I know. What? I don't understand his thought process. He said it was because like, it's on the left side. It'll it's be more connected to the heart is what he was thinking. And so he's like, I'll eat the right butt cheek. Isn't he an academic person? He's very smart. But in literature, not biology. Okay. <laughs> 
Tell us, Nurse Melissa. <laughs> Does he have any grounds in believing that? I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> so Issei, he just tries to go right in. He tries to take a bite out of Renee's buttocks, but realizes that his teeth were not sharp enough, which kind of surprised him. He just left bite marks. He thought he could just start gnawing on her, like just chomping with his teeth. He said his jaw hurt, giving him a headache. Oh, poor that thing. poor muffin. <laughs> He's so terrible. So using a knife instead, Issei cuts into Renee and pointed out in interviews that he was again surprised to see a substance that appeared in consistency and color to yellow corn. So the fat under oh, the skin. He thought he was just going to cut in and there would be lean meat right there. So you would think that he's been fantasizing about this for, he said, 32 years, but he had never picked up an anatomy book? I guess not. And he wouldn't have had internet back then to search it. No, but he's in university. You figure you go to the library and do some research. Yeah. Honestly, if you were going to do something this extreme, why the heck wasn't he doing his research? Why didn't he know what to expect? Well, he had never actually cut into anybody. Right? I know, but you but... can look at anatomy pictures and oh, figure definitely. out that there's going to be adipose tissue there. Yeah, definitely. He just said it looked like corn. And so he was kind of surprised. So then he says how he had to reach his hand in and take out a piece of flesh. And so I'm going to read you his quote about that. He said, quote, the moment I saw the meat, I tore a chunk off with my fingers and threw it into my mouth. It was truly a historical moment for me. That said, it wasn't like I was lusting over the fact that I was cutting up her dead body. So it's difficult for me to revisit the incident and talk about it even now. Um, this must sound rich coming from me, but the moment the girl became a corpse, I realized that I had lost an important friend and even regretted killing her for a moment. What I truly wished was to eat her living flesh. Nobody believes me, but my ultimate intention was not to eat her nor necessarily to kill her. To this day, I still think, quote, if only she let me taste her just a little bit. What? What a turp egg. So are we supposed to feel sorry for him that he lost his friend? And so self-centered. If she would just let me eat her a little bit. Yeah. Melissa, can I take a chunk out of your butt? Just a little bit? Well, I do have answers. Because <laughs> no. isn't that what true friends do? Let you just gnaw on them when they get the inclination? I would prefer if you took it out of my love handles. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> hey, get a straw. <laughs> a new way of liposuction. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> So upon eating her flesh, he said, quote, it melted in my mouth like raw tuna in a sushi restaurant. Uh-huh. Issei was now euphoric to have this beautiful body to do with what he wanted. He would keep her body for two days. To make things easier for himself, Issei went and got an electric knife and proceeded to carve up pieces of Renee. So he continued to perform disturbing sexual acts with her mutilated body and tried eating different parts of her body and face. He tried cooking some as well as eating some of it raw. He said he didn't like eating the breast because it was too greasy, but he discovered that he enjoyed eating her thighs best. <laughs> yeah. He says later that the neck is actually the best meat, but there's not a lot of it. So if you really want to feast, go for the thighs. This is so disturbing. Mm -hmm. So he's like now goes on to do interviews about recipes and oh, cooking techniques. Just wait. Like I said, my brain needs a shower after this one. So about eating her human flesh, he said, quote, I had no idea that it would taste so good. He also said, quote, I actually felt a sort of sexual pleasure in eating her as if my inner body was on fire. Also, you know how beef or whale meat has a sort of beastly smell to it? Human meat is odorless. I actually believe that human meat is the tastiest of all meats. It doesn't have any of that gamey animal smell. When I ate some more a couple days later, just before I got arrested, the meat had become sweeter and it tasted great. 
Oh, so you should age your human steaks. I guess. I don't know. I'm not feeling very hungry right now. Oh, that's gross. <laughs> so inside his fridge, police would later find large amounts of Renee stored in plastic bags. So he was eating as he was going. He was testing it out, cooking some, eating some raw, and saving some for later. Was he still having sex with her body, too? Oh, yeah. Oh, Whatever gross. parts were left. Yeah. With her missing big hunks of flesh out of her body. He was yep. still having sex with her. He was still. Yep. Oh, this guy is gross. Yeah, he is. And I don't go into much of that because I felt like maybe that's a little too much oh, <laughs> all in one episode. But yeah, because I he, asked the question. No, but he talks about specifics on how he does that. Oh, that's so yeah. disgusting. Mm-hmm. So in the fridge with all these body parts, among the pieces of flesh, police found Renee's lips. He kept them to savor later since he had previously fantasized over chewing on them. He's like, I'm saving these for later. Oh. Issei documented his process by taking pictures of each stage, and he re-listened to the voice recording of when he shot Renee. So with all this evidence, how did he not get charged for a greater amount of time? You're going to find out. So the first night, once Issei was exhausted, he took what remained of Renee to his bed with him. He wanted to cuddle her and have sex with her body again. With missing parts. Yep. Oh, gross. Mm-hmm. I won't go into morbid details about that, but it is sufficient to say that this man is evil beyond description. After having her body in his apartment for two days, he noticed that several flies were swarming her body, so he sadly realized that he would have to get rid of her. He used a hatchet, and he cut what remained of Renee into pieces. He said that when he decapitated her and held up her head, quote, I realized I am a cannibal. Oh, he didn't know before when he was eating pieces of her? It was just a moment that it cemented it in him. Like, yes, this is who I am. Self-actualization right there. Yeah. This guy's disturbing. Unfortunately, just not in a healthy way. Yeah. Issei got two large suitcases and filled them with what was left of Renee's body and called a cab. The driver helped him to load the suitcases and made a joke about how heavy they were. The driver jokingly asked him if he had a dead body in them. Oh, (laughs) if he only knew. Yeah. And how many times do we say jokes like that? Like, what do you got a dead body in here? Like if something's heavy. And so Issei told the driver that the suitcases were filled with heavy books and the driver bought it. Meanwhile, they're leaking out blood and other bodily fluids. He, you can actually, well, don't look up the pictures, but in the pictures, he's got them wrapped up in, in like blankets. Absorbent material. Yeah. So I think at that point it wasn't leaking, but later it's leaking. And she's been bleeding out for two days, right? On his floor. Issei asked the driver to take him to a park named Bue de la Bologna. His plan was to dump the suitcases into the lake there. It was a popular park. In an interview, Issei shows a picture taken of himself standing in that park prior to the murder, saying it was like a premonition that he had that picture taken only to later dispose of Renee there. Because Issei was so weak and small, he had a very difficult time lugging the suitcases. (laughs) I can totally picture that. Right? Like him like pulling it across the ground because he wouldn't be able to lift it. Yeah, he was literally trying to drag both and there was two. So it wasn't just one. He was trying to drag them across. He said he stopped to look at the sunset and walked a little bit away from the cases. And a man in the park asked him if the suitcases were his. So a man had noticed these suitcases kind of abandoned. And he's like, hey, are these your suitcases? And Issei just looked at him and didn't know what to do. So he said no. Oh, yeah. He's like, no, not mine. So the man opened one of the suitcases and discovered that it contained (gasps) human body parts. And the French police were called. Oh, no. So Mm -hmm. he could have just said they are mine. Yeah, but he was wanting to push them into the lake. He knew that the park would be busy at that time of day, but he wasn't really thinking clearly about that. So he got there. There was lots of people. He didn't really know what to do. So he took this opportunity. The man's like, hey, are these yours? And he was standing a little bit away from them. So he's like, no, man, not mine. Yeah. Then he would get to watch everybody discover them. Right. People were screaming and it was a big thing. 
So the police were called, and it didn't take long for the police to connect Issei to Renee. They would trace back the suitcases to him, and the cab driver was able to identify the man with two heavy suitcases that he had dropped off at the park where the remains were found. From his residence. Yeah. So calling a cab was his first mistake. Not very smart. Because police would have been asking around, does anybody know about this man? You know, someone dropped off these two suitcases at the park, and he'd be like, yeah, I dropped off a guy with heavy suitcases. And this is where I picked him up. Right at the murder place. Yeah, and they were super heavy suitcases. This guy is not very smart. For how much of an academic he is, he is not very smart. It's true. But thankfully, he's not that smart. True. Because if he was really smart, he could have done this for years without being detected. Yeah. And just because he was attending university doesn't necessarily mean that he was academic, I guess. And if he was after young, healthy, attractive women, university is a good place to find them. For sure. And in Paris, it was, these were the women he was attracted to. Mm -hmm. When police raided his home, he confessed right away and said, quote, I killed her to eat her flesh. Issei was arrested and he was actually detained for two years while he awaited trial. Issei's wealthy father paid for his defense team. Psychologists deemed Issei legally insane and the judge decided that he was unfit to stand trial. What? Mm -hmm. He ordered him to be held indefinitely at a mental institution. He was sent to the Paul Giroud Asylum. An author, Inohiko Yomoda, came to interview Issei and published his account of the murder in Japan in a book titled In the Fog. So Issei quickly became a sensation. So he was in this mental asylum in France. They let this author come and interview him, write out his story. It gets published. It becomes popular. And he quickly becomes this celebrity or this sensation. This is so disturbing. You never want anybody to censor what can be published. But do you really want a cult following of this cannibal? Right? That's crazy. Yeah. It is suspected that because of this publicity, the French authorities decided to deport Issei back to Japan. They were like, we want nothing more to do with him. And we're out. Yeah, let's wash like, our hands of him. See you later, yeah. But some speculate that his father's wealth may have also played a significant factor in having Issei sent home. So when he's sent home, though, is he sent home to another asylum? Yes. So once extradited to Japan, Issei was committed to Matsuzawa Hospital in Tokyo. The Japanese psychiatrist concluded that Issei was in fact sane and thought that his sole motivation for murder was sexual perversion. And this is where we insert the biggest loophole known to man that would set Issei free. When he was deported, the French officials had dropped the charges against Issei. They just wanted him out of their country and to let Japan deal with him. So they purposely dropped them because they wanted Japan to take him back. Right. Okay. They're like, hey, we're dropping our charges. We don't want him here. You deal with him. When the charges were dropped, the French court sealed his documents and they refused to release them to the Japanese authorities. Oh, so the Japanese can't do anything about it. Yeah. So since Issei was deemed as sane by the Japanese doctors, they could not keep him locked up in a mental institution. And without any of the court documents from France, they had zero evidence to hold a trial against him. Ooh, that's a big, sketchy loophole. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, what happened there? Why wouldn't the French courts release his documents? I don't know. I don't know. It was just that says his... that it was sealed and they didn't release it. Was that his father interfering? Could be. But how as a father then do you still want to stand behind him? He did. Oh. He paid for all his legal defense. So consequently, Issei checked himself out of the mental hospital on August 12, 1986 and has remained a free man since. 
So the only time he spent in prison for doing this to Renee was two years while he was awaiting trial in France. That is insane. Isn't it? Are there any statements from her family? No. Because oh, that does that is not justice at all. No. It's not, not that, you know, punishment will make your loved one come back, but sometimes there is just that want for punishment to, to serve that need for justice. Oh, absolutely. It's a big part of the healing process, I would think. So naturally, we would think that Issei Sagawa's story should be over now, right? It's not? Nope. Wrong! (laughs) After being released as a free man, he became sensationalized, which led to international publicity. And so I'm going to talk about that. That is what happens so for him. crazy. Mm-hmm. And again, like, are there some things that we should not be publicizing just so it doesn't reach that fanfare stage? Right. Like we talked about this in the Mary Bell case, mm-hmm. how she was able to earn money from telling her story. Well, Issei goes on to make a whole living off of what he does. So he was given roles in pornographic movies. I watched a documentary where his co-star had no idea what he had done, and the director had him tell her after they had already had sex about what he did to Renee, and then made them continue to have sex. So the director wanted this shock factor. She cried about it when she spoke about it, but afterwards, her and Issei would end up becoming friends, which I don't understand how that happens. No. During some of the movies, he performed reenactments where he bites other actors. He published books about his murder and cannibalism. One of them even contains the photographs that he took of Renee's mutilated body. And <gasps> listeners, you can't unsee these photos. How horrible for yeah. her family. Right? So he's released this book telling about what he did. And there's the photographs that he took as he was documenting it stage how by stage. Is, how does that get published? That right? is so wrong. Yeah. And to date, he has published about 20 books. Wow. And so he's profiting off of his crime. Oh, yeah. This for is sure. the only way he's been able to make money is off of his crime. Included in these 20 books is the one about his murder, fictional novels about cannibals, and even manga novels that graphically depict what he did to Renee. What are manga novels? Kind of like graphic novels. Oh, Japanese graphic novels. He's actually quite the artist and he does the The illustrations. illustrations. Yeah, he does the illustrations for it. Oh, that is so disturbing. Mm -hmm. People buy these because they don't think it's a real story. I think because it's just so out there. That is so messed up. And so this next one is even more messed up. There's a Japanese magazine called Spa. They hired him to write restaurant reviews. No. So remember you were talking about recipes and oh. stuff? So he doesn't actually publish recipes, but he writes restaurant reviews. So I wonder if normal food doesn't hold the same appeal anymore now that he's tasted human flesh, which oh, I'm is sure the best it kind. Yeah, he says it's the best. Oh, this mm-hmm. is gross. So this magazine is trying to profit off of, you know, we're going to have this famous cannibal review restaurants. So they're little dirtbags too. Yeah. <laughs> Issei was almost hired by a French language school because the manager was impressed by how courageous he was in using his real name. But the employees protested and he was thankfully rejected. The manager was like, well, good for him. He's trying to make a living. He's using his real name. He's owning up to it. And the employees are like, nah, bro. Mm -mm." Because he hasn't been reformed in any way. No, not at all. Between 1986 and 1997, Issei was invited frequently to be a guest speaker and commentator for different events, including talk shows. As a talented artist, Issei had been able to sell paintings of nude women as well as gruesome pictures that he had made. Issei would say that being forced to make a living while being a known cannibal and murderer was a terrible punishment, although he seems to have more basked in it than anything else. 
But he talks about how hard that was, how it would have been easier to be in prison because I've had to make my living off of reliving my crime all the time. Yeah, I do not understand this guy. Just so self-centered. Daddy's paid for everything, got me out of everything. And now this is what I have to resort to. I have to perform in pornographic movies and I have to pretend to bite people and I have to write my stories. Yeah, because somebody's holding a gun to his head, making him do those things. No. Go work at 7-Eleven. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because daddy's got all the money. Yeah. Yeah. Both his his grandfather had a huge amount of money. His father, a huge amount of money. So it doesn't make sense to me. Doesn't at all. And I know we've talked about this before, but in my opinion, he shouldn't be allowed to make one penny on sensationalizing his crimes. No. Mm-mm. And I just keep thinking of that woman's poor family. I know. That's crazy. Because yeah. education and newsworthy or for the purpose of news, in my opinion, is totally different than actually selling it for oh, just entertainment. Absolutely. absolutely. Or even that magazine having yeah. him write reviews for restaurants, right? Just, just trying to make a buck off of it. It is just so wrong. Yeah. He was reported saying, quote, the public has made me the godfather of cannibalism, and I am happy about that. Oh, but I thought it was so hard of a life for him. Right? Get your story straight. (laughs) You dirtbag. He apparently had a website where he discusses his crime and explains why cannibalism isn't really that bad of an act. And so he seems to remain unremorseful. Well, how could you be remorseful if there's no accountability? Right? I guess you can be remorseful if there's no accountability, but... But he's not been held accountable. No, he's not, not had to pay for his crime at all. In fact, he's earned money off of his crime and he's... fame. In 2005, both of Issei's parents died and he was prevented from attending the funeral. Because of his family? Did they drop him? It doesn't say. It just said that he was not able to attend the funeral or he was prevented from. So hmm. someone didn't let him. I wonder who that was. Mm-hmm. So maybe daddy isn't paying for all of his No, both bills. of his parents died. At the same time? Yeah, in the same year. It doesn't say how or anything like that. But in 2005, they both passed away. And he does talk about how that was hard not being able to go to their funeral. In 2013, Issei's nervous system was permanently damaged from a cerebral infarction, which is basically like a stroke, I believe, right? Yep. Okay, so that happened to him in 2013. He suffers from diabetes and he had two heart attacks in 2015. It was last reported that he lives alone and needs daily assistance. And his younger brother, as well as paid caregivers, look after him. So his younger brother is still in his life. When his brother asked him during an interview if he would ever eat him, Issei just gave an empty stare and was silent. He didn't answer. What? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's when I would stop taking care of him. Yeah, he's like, well, I'm your brother. Would you eat me? And he just kind of stared blankly and didn't say anything. And this guy like, was next question. Not insane. Yeah, not insane. Oh, but his brother takes care of him, like provides for him. Yeah. So I'm assuming family money is still coming his way. So just a quick mention before I continue, since I'm always curious about how different murders are depicted in the media, Issei wasn't the only performer to use his crime for fame. Many songs, movies, and books have been made about him. But one of the more popular ones that I thought that I would note was that in 1983, the Rolling Stones released a song about him titled Too Much Blood. Oh. Yeah. And it's a terrible song, in my opinion. (laughs) It's not even a good one. But yeah, they have a whole music video made to it even. A music video? Yep. It must have been such a craze then. So that's like international sensationalization on it. When asked, Issei says that he can't really explain the tendency he feels towards eating a woman. He says, quote, It's simply a fetish. Besides, I only wanted to bite into her and have a little taste, rather than actually consuming the meat. 
Of course, I still have this sexual appetite of wanting to eat a beautiful woman's body. For example, if a normal man fancied a girl, he'd naturally feel a desire to see her as often as possible, to be close to her, to smell her and kiss her, right? To me, eating is just an extension of that. Obviously, the general public doesn't understand. But the thing is, sure, I want to eat the girl, but I don't necessarily want to kill her in the process. Once she's dead, she's merely a corpse. A thing. If possible, I'd like to eat her alive. Frankly, I can't fathom why everyone doesn't feel the urge to eat, to consume other people. Don't you ever feel like this? No, No, Issei, we don't. (laughs) Not at all. Sorry, honey, no, we don't. So as he roams free, Issei says that he thinks about wanting to eat someone again before he dies so that he can die satisfied. He says, quote, the desire to eat people becomes so intense around June when women start wearing less and showing more skin. Just today, I saw a girl with a really nice derriere on my way to the train station. When I see things like that, I think about wanting to eat someone again before I die. So yes, I do still harbor these desires. And I specifically want to eat a Japanese woman this time. There is one condition, though. They have to be young, beautiful women. And then he continues to say, quote, I can't bear the thought of leaving this life without ever tasting that derriere that I saw this morning or her thighs. I want to eat them again while I'm alive so that I can at least be satisfied when I die. I guess I'm being egotistical, but if I could really go through with it, then after that, I'd have no qualms about being put to death via the guillotine or hanging or whatever. There's no doubt in my mind that I want to eat human flesh again, though, I mean, it's delicious stuff. It's widely believed that human meat doesn't taste good, but they only spread that rumor because it's a taboo that can't be crossed. If people found out the truth, I'm sure that men would all start eating women. They don't talk about it because it will create pandemonium, but I tell you, human meat is extremely tasty. Why is this man allowed to live free? It's the most crazy, unfathomable thing to me. He's talking about how he wants to eat someone else before he dies. Lock him up now. Yeah, and he's still alive. So who knows if he will or not? He never did his time for his crime before. So let's lock him up now so that he doesn't eat somebody else. Right. And he's saying, I'm like, at this point, I'd gladly die by the guillotine or hanging. Like, it would be worth it to me if I could do that one last time. So before I end, because I'm sure you're just as done with him as I am, I'll finish the episode with how Issei himself says he would like to die. Issei describes his fantasy of being tortured and eaten alive by a beautiful woman. He basically wants his cannibal self to be cannibalized. He gives this invitation. So listen up, listeners. This is what he's inviting. Quote, I would like to invite any woman who wants to kill me to step forward. Beautiful women only. That would be the ideal way for me to die. Maybe they can shoot me up with morphine so that I don't feel any pain. Although, because <laughs> he's a weakling. He is. Although I guess the pain is part of the pleasure. Dying instantly is boring. So I want to savor the process of being killed. An alternative would be to drown in female saliva. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be covered all over with women's spit? Oh, I know. So gross. It makes me gig. If I could die drowning in it, that would be my ultimate dream come true. I'm a cowardly man who killed another person, yet I can't face killing myself. So I guess dying at the hands of a woman would be my way to redemption. And all I have to say is, not bloody likely, Issei. Oh, wow. And that is the disturbing case of a real-life monster and good-for-nothing dirtbag, Issei Sagawa. That is a crazy case. Isn't that terrible? Yes. And so why don't they just lock him up again? Yeah. 
open up those records from France so that he can be charged again and tried as the same person because he was never even tried. No, but I assume there'd be a statute of limitation. I don't think so. Because there's a certain amount of time where you can't be charged for a crime that you committed. No way. There is here in North America. I don't think for murder, though. I don't know. Oh, Melissa's on her computer. She's going to look it up now. Oh, my goodness. Am I right? You are. So for serious crimes in Japan, it was increased in 2004 to 30 years. Okay. So, but his crimes were in Paris. Oh my goodness. In France, it's a 10 year statute of limitations. That is insane. Yeah. I knew there was, I didn't think like 10 years is really low, but. Okay. I am sorry, but Canada has it right. In Canada, there is no statute of limitations for severe cases like murder. Good. Yeah. And that's how it should be. It should. But that is just so interesting. Yeah. So there you have it. So that's why he can't be charged now. He couldn't be charged now. No. That that. is so crazy. Yeah. It is so crazy to me. He's admitted it. He's published books talking about what he did. I read just some of the quotes from some of his interviews where he's talking about it freely, what he did and how much he loves it and how much he wants to do it again. Yeah. That is disturbing. What do you think, listeners? Should he still be able to be punished for this? Yeah. Let us know what you think. And I promise my next case won't be another cannibal. (laughs) We need a break, Christy. (laughs) That's right. But next week, Melissa has another great case for us. And it's going to have a little bit of a connection to one of our previous cases. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for listening. That's it for now. We hope you have a wonderful week. See ya. Bye. testing again because we keep moving all over the place today (laughs) (laughs) that's what we should talk about butchering names (laughs) he actually put thought into actually eating another human being actually yes actually (laughs) you could take all all of my actuallys but well and i wonder if that's just like our our ethnocentrism whatever that word is the ethros ethnocentrism ethnocentrism centricism because they had lots of money Money, <laughs> because they had money, lots of money, money. <laughs> because they had they had money. lots of money. So because they had lots of money, I can't say money. I'm looking money. at the word. <laughs> My brain's doing a weird thing right now. Like Take twenty four. <laughs> <laughs> he did it too many times. <laughs> There's a warning. <laughs> Why do you say stuff like that? Then I have to decide: do I leave it in or do I delete it? <laughs> That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I honestly didn't think we were going to discuss this that much. But then I forgot who I'm recording with. Okay, good night. We're done. I tried. Ooh la la. You nibble, you don't bite. (laughs) At least we're not cannibals. Hey, when you are having a rough day, and you need to set that bar kind of low, you can say, at least I'm not a cannibal. Hey, we're live, pal, and we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now. But we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. (laughs) 
Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.